The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hello and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host for today. I'm a spiritual journeyman and media consultant. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com. And I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today, as usual, because I forced her to, is my wonderful co-host, Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm good, Jim. We just need to clear up. You never forced me to do anything. I'm absolutely here willing and excited. (laughs) Well, I'm good because, you know, I have the anxiety about things and that's what we're talking about today. Anxiety is the topic today. Well, unless you mean forced as in the force, in which case you absolutely forced me here. <laughs> well, indeed, indeed. So do you, do you ever have anxiety issues? I know I do. You know, it's interesting. Uh, my first therapist told me not to say I have anxiety, but that I experience That's anxiety. That's a very good point. I like that. Yeah. I, you know, I, I do experience anxiety um, and I'm really excited about the tools that we're going to talk about today, because it's one of those things where you can't always plan for it. And sometimes it can completely derail your day, right? As, as it stacks on top of each other. So I'm always really grateful for any tools for stopping that spinning when it starts. Absolutely. We'll talk about spin kits and all kinds of interesting stuff with the anxiety sisters. I think that's going to be really helpful to us in a lot of ways. You know, I don't think I have met anyone probably in the last few years, who hasn't told me at some point or another that they experience anxiety. Do you think it's something that we're really dealing with as a culture, especially with the pandemic right now? I really do. I mean, it's definitely, I think the the, um, pandemic has exacerbated the situation, you know, to a large extent, Um, just uh, partially because we've had so much time to ourselves, perhaps. Uh, but also, I, I think society right now is very split and very 
angst-ridden and i think that we you know we're really experiencing a very high level of anxiety in our culture yeah i i think you know as a decade ago or so we would have talked about personal anxiety a lot but now you know talking about it from a cultural standpoint talking about those of us who are, who are a little freaked out about loss of biodiversity and extinction and climate change and, and all those kind of existential issues too it seems like these days you know in race and gender and and all sorts of things that there, there's a lot that's on our minds. And I wonder if it's that having so much on our minds and perhaps not having the places to talk about it or to process it or to work with it is, is part of what we're experiencing. Do you have outlets to, to kvetch besides me? I do, actually. My wife, unfortunately, is one of them. She hears a lot of my anxiety. Um, I do. I have friends that I can I can consult, and you know, I I have to confess that sometimes I take a nap, and that resets my brain. You know, and I know I don't know if that's that's good brilliant. Or not, it's <laughs> I do the same thing. I always call it like the computer reboot. Yes, Just yes. Shut it down. Just shut it right down. Let's see what happens when I wake up. Exactly, and it, it I find it very helpful. And I, as I've mentioned before, there's always I love Lucy. Oh, that's right. I love Lucy and your Captain Crunch. <laughs> I've cut down the Captain Crunch. I think that might add to my anxiety. I'm not sure. All that sugar. Yeah, sugar and caffeine. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking the other, or actually I was thinking while I was reading this book, because it was talking a little bit about, you know, the caffeine connection, but that when I get stressed, all of a sudden I start going for the sugar and the caffeine and it's the yeah. least thing I need. It's the last thing I need. Right, right. Old habits. Yeah. Yeah. Old thing. Well, you know, it's a, it's a desire to soothe. It is. And I think, you know, when we're little kids and we're, I remember going to the doctor's office as a kid and what they would hand you to de-stress you when you left was a sucker. Yeah. Did yeah. you ever get that? The lollipop? I did. I uh -huh. did. Doesn't seem like the uh, most appropriate thing, but you know, it works. Yeah, so we were raised just to seek our comfort through certain things that uh, we may now have better tools for. You're right. You're absolutely right. So you got any quote for us today? I do. There will always be enough time for running, for rushing, for worrying, for pushing. For now, stay. Wait. Something is on the horizon. Oh, that's wonderful. Who's that? That's Jan Richardson. Very interesting. And what about you? I have one right here. Every time you're tempted to react in the same old way, ask if you want to be a prisoner of the past or a pioneer of the future. Oh. That's my buddy Deepak. Deepak Chopra. Really, I was getting all sorts of Oregon Trail off of that. And then, and then I started spinning out a little bit, wondering about, <laughs> about language, about pioneers. So that brought up a lot for me, Jim. Wow, that, that does feel packed. That does feel it, packed. <laughs> I've got my homework after the episode. Perhaps some too much anxiety over that. Perhaps anxiety over language, I suppose. <laughs> Are you ready to jump into the episode? Let's do it. And now it's time for our interview. 
Maggie Sarah checks expertise is counseling and teaching people to find strength through community. As a social worker in a New York City high school, she specialized in the development of youth leadership as well as counseling individuals and families. Maggie's also worked as a special education advocate helping families to access services for their children and teens. Abby Greenberg has gotten degrees in the communication field as well as a certificate in adult education and a master's in fine arts creative writing. In addition to a more than 25 year career as a professor, Abby has served as a divorce mediator, a Myers-Briggs trainer, a motivational speaker, and a communications consultant, as well as a teacher teacher development coordinator for several educational institutions. Together, they're the Anxiety Sisters. They write an award-winning blog and host a monthly podcast called The Spin Cycle. And they're the authors of the book, The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide, How You Can Become More Hopeful, Help, Connected, and Happy. Welcome, Anxiety Sisters. It's, well, it's great to have you on the show. We're thrilled to be here. It's awesome. And the first thing I have to say is, ah, Anxiety, my old friend, I know you well. <laughs> We hear that a lot. I'll bet you do. How, how did you become the uh, Anxiety Sisters? Well, um, the two of us met in college. And um, I think we, we recognize kindred souls. We both were struggling with anxiety, but we didn't really have a name for it yet. We didn't exactly know what it was. Um, and then we graduated, you know, stayed great friends and um, started our anxiety at different times started getting even more intense and um, even more disruptive to our lives. And so we were really both together, each other's touchstones, but also together, like looking for a way to feel better. Um, and so I, I like to say we had this decade of the is, at least a decade, where we went to the psychiatrists, the neurologists, gastroenterologist, the hypnotist, past life regressionist. If you were an ist and you'd take our money, we were there. And <laughs> truth be told, many of those people helped us. So it wasn't like um, many people helped us. Um, but we kind of also began to realize that what sustained each of us was really having the connection to each other. Um, that we had someone that we could really talk to and call and lament with and ask advice to. That, that sense of, of connection was so important in our healing along with so many of the things that we were trying. Um, Abs, do you wanna take it from here? You never like to tell the bus story. I know. <laughs> oh, the bus story. Got to hear the bus story. Well, because you asked how we became the Anxiety Sisters. So what Mags gave you was how we became each other's best friend and soul sister. But how we became the Anxiety Sisters happened on a bus from New Jersey to Manhattan. Hmm. We were riding on this bus. I think this was in about 2010. And we were talking probably pretty loudly about um, a very personal topic like medication and side effects from anxiety. And... Um, the person in the seat in front of us turned around and said, oh, I'm on that same medication and I have that same side effect. What do you do about it? And within a few minutes, literally every woman on the bus was part of this conversation. Wow. And when we got off the bus, I said to Mags, can you believe that, you know, 
perfect strangers were willing to share such intimate um, stories about their mental health and about the medication they were on and, and just so eager to talk about it. And Mag said, yeah, because anxiety is so lonely. It's so isolating. We're, you know, people are really craving that connection. And then she kind of announced to Ninth Avenue, we're anxiety sisters. And it's stuck. <laughs> I love that I'm sitting on Ninth Avenue right now talking to the are anxiety you? sisters. It's oh, great. Kismet. <laughs> so how do you how do you define anxiety? What what does anxiety mean to you? Well, anxiety is first of all, it's a human condition. So if you're a human being, you've experienced anxiety at some point. Anxiety is, you know, it could be stress, it could be that feeling of butterflies in your stomach, um, it could be a panic attack. All these things are anxiety. The type of anxiety that Mags and I struggled with and are now um, spending our time helping people to heal from is the kind that is really disruptive of your life. It's the kind that um, keeps you from being in control of your own decisions. It keeps you from going where you want to go, seeing who you want to see, and doing the things you want to do because of your anxiety. You're, you're either concerned you're going to have an anxiety attack or your anxiety is so physical that it's impossible for you to do things. So, um, but, but yes, every human being has had anxiety. It's human. Um, so we all know what it is. It's just that we, we struggle with anxiety disorders, which is when uh, you have a wonky amygdala. I don't know if we can talk about that on the radio, can we? <laughs> sure we can. <laughs> it's completely G-rated. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, your amygdala is a, is a part of your limbic system in your brain. It's this little almond-shaped, uh, little. it looks like a nodule, and um, it's your fear center. And those of us with anxiety disorders, our amygdalae tend to be a little trigger happy. And so, whereas the normal, quote unquote, amygdala, when it senses danger, will alert the body, oh, we're in danger, we need to get ready to either fight or flee. And so, you know, our body re uh, releases adrenaline, etc. In, in an anxiety sister, our amygdala does that way too often or too sensitively uh, for things that are perceived and not necessarily real threats. In other words, it's, it's a trigger happy situation. So we call it the wonky amygdala. And I believe that I read in the book that this is not just for female sisters, but uh, folks of all genders can have wonky amygdalas. Can you talk oh, to that for a moment? Well, absolutely. We say anxiety sisters because Abby and I see ourselves as sisters. And so we sort of use the term, you know, um, but um, we our community is really open to any gender, um, any gender identification. You know, we all we all can struggle with anxiety. So there's, you know, Whoever, whoever is struggling with anxiety disorder is part of the anxiety sisterhood. I like okay, that. Jim, you can stay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad because I need this. I need this. More than 30% of our sisterhood, quote unquote, identifies male. Interesting. Interesting. And I love how you say in the book, anxiety does not make you broken. It makes you human. You were talking to that earlier and that, that really hits me uh, well. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the myths about anxiety. Um, you talk, you know, in the book about this to some extent, and one of them is healing is linear. We, we have this idea that 
you know, you, you take the pill and you're better, or you, you follow this path and everything's all solved, but maybe not so. Well, our quick fix culture here would like you to believe that, right? Western culture is very big into three steps and you're cured. But anyone who's been alive for more than maybe 10 minutes knows that, you know, life is filled with struggle and challenge. And very few things are start at point A and end up at point B without climbing walls and dodging tornadoes and, you know, digging underground. I mean, it's just, you know, a minefield, right? Everything is much more complicated than our culture would make it seem. So, um, so we don't believe that healing is a linear process where you start at point A and you get to point B. It really, it's more like the cha-cha couple steps forward, a couple steps back, a few more steps forward, two more steps back, maybe a pitfall or relapse, you know, some challenges along the way. But but that's what we uh, we tell people to expect, because healing from anxiety is definitely uh, not an easy process. A lot of our a lot of people say to us, like, I for four or five or six or seven years or more, I was I was fine. So I thought I was over this. And then I had something happened or nothing happened. I can't identify anything that happened. And now I, I feel like I'm back to square one. Um, and we say that's normal. You know, that's the normal course of this is that there are times where the disorder is less active and times where it's more active. And so that's to be expected. <laughs> But it, aren't strong people, they don't have anxiety, do they? Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Another myth. Some of the strongest people I know have anxiety, that's for sure. Um, you know, people think that it's a sign of strength if you can kind of buck up and go it alone. I think it's, again, a cultural message we often get in, in Western culture, you know, be all you can be and all those great slogans, just do it and everything else. And so we're meant to feel weak if we either need help from someone or if we're if we're not able to sort of, you know, rise to the very top every single day. <laughs> so um, but that's that's really a myth. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of strength to live with any disorder, whether it be anxiety or anything else. So um, like I said, some of the strongest people we know have anxiety and, and many other conditions as well. We also know that oftentimes men um, have a little bit of a harder time talking about their feelings. They have less of a vocabulary around it um, or people from cultures where it's less accepted to express all the different feelings. You know, families will say, don't air your dirty laundry or um, so, so some people, are very comfortable kind of coming forward or find some comfort in coming forward. And other people, it takes them a while to understand that what they're feeling um, is anxiety and that it will be helpful to either get help or connect with people or, you know, do, read a book or do whatever they have to do to, to start working on it. And the, the idea that I'm the only one struggling like this is, again, a cultural thing, too, I think, you know, uh, because we, we isolate ourselves when it's something that's, you know, scary. Uh, but can you talk to that a little bit about that? Well, m most people don't put on social media, um, you know. Right. I'm having a... <laughs> I'm freaking out today. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> 
get out of bed today or, you know, had to turn around, for, um, couldn't get to the office or whatever else. You know, we, especially now, we tend to see the highlights of people's lives right now. You know, the we see their perfect families and their perfect vacations and their all the all the glitter and glam. Um, and so it can feel very much um, like we're a person can feel very much like we're the only one. I'm the only one struggling. Everyone else seems perfectly fine. They're, you know, playing tennis and running around and doing all their things. And I'm sitting here and I can't leave my house or I can't, I can't do any of the things I want to do. Um, you know, so, and, and there's, there's less stigma than there used to be around anxiety but there's still not a lot of vocabulary out there about what it really feels like to have anxiety, right? So people will say like, oh, it's, it's cool to have depression or anxiety, but they're not so happy when someone cancels plans again because mm -hmm. they can't leave the house or you know, can't get to work on time. Then the actual, the actual consequences of anxiety aren't so acceptable anymore. Can I throw a number at you? Please throw numbers. 269 million people worldwide suffer from anxiety. Wow. That's a big number. Not a small number. No, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm one of them. The, yeah, 40 something million in the US alone. I'm, I'm one uh, of them, yeah. Yeah, so really, if you have anxiety, you couldn't be less alone. Now we, we internalize things, you know, we say I'm to blame for having this anxiety i'm just i'm i'm too weak you know or some other reason that uh, it's it's my fault can you talk to that a little bit um yeah we you know i think that abby's alluded it to alluded to it before but we're definitely um particularly in american culture i think we're definitely in this culture where we are to blame if anything goes wrong you know or if things aren't exactly as they should be it's because of us like if we were more disciplined or stronger or you know or wanted it sugar yeah everything would be okay um and so it really invalidates the idea that this is a brain illness you know we can you can you can see that you can see it on an when someone's having a panic attack and an mri you know mm -hmm. you can parts of your brain light up. This is a real illness, a real disorder. It's not your decision. It, we always say it's a disorder, not a decision. And I want, to, so want us to get into anxiety management techniques. We're definitely going to talk about that a little bit later, but I want to dive a little bit more into, into some of this. I'm sorry, Sarah, you're about to say something. Well, you know what, Jim, we were going to go exactly the right place, which is, you know, what are some of the symptoms of knowing that our anxiety is going kind of beyond that quote unquote normal place? Well, we always say that if your anxiety is making the decisions in your life, it's time to do something. It's time to take the control back because you know you can live happily with anxiety. Mags and I do it every day. Mm -hmm. um, lots of times I wake up and my anxiety happens to be sitting right next to me. And I just look at her and I say, fine, you're here, but you're not driving. So that's the key is that when the anxiety is, is, is taking over the wheel and starting to drive, that's when you want to 
you know, start looking for ways to manage it better and, and, and put yourself back in the driver's seat. And, you know, it's on a continuum for some people that's, you know, it, it, they have a higher tolerance for anxiety than others. In other words, it, it's different for everybody. But what we want is to be in control of our own decisions. We don't want our worlds to shrink. We want them to grow. And you talk about in the book um, some ways that we we get anxiety, and some of the things that you mentioned are, are genetics and brain chemistry and and gender and uh, you know de- mineral and vitamin deficiencies and, and things like that. Um, but you also mentioned some very interesting things like societal expectations and systematic racism and discrimination. Um, I wondered if you could just touch on some of the ways we get anxiety, how it sort of seeps into us or how we, you know, how it processes within us? Well, I think like you said, there's um, different um, biological kind of processes, you know, if we, if we come, particularly different, certain types of anxiety, if we come from a family where there was a lot of anxiety, um, we now know there's some anxiety genes Um, We don't know why they're turned on and off so well. We know that, in fact, that there's um, epigenetics now. So we know that anxiety, um, if if a group is traumatized, um, then some of those genes are turned on and some of the some of our genetics are altered. And so like their children and children's children will be more prone to anxiety. Um, Rachel Yehuda has done an incredible job of exploring this with people who were Holocaust survivors and their children, Mm. um, that these genes seem to be turned on and and it actually changes sort of the DNA, literally, it it changes us. Um, And now they're doing a lot of uh, work with descendants of slaves. Um, people who are in slavery and and seeing how the generational trauma um, it, uh, impacts this, but you know, so there's there's like there's a lot of biological ideas, and then there's um, situational situational ideas. Part of it is culture. Yeah, definitely, poverty is incredibly stressful. Yes, um, definitely, yes. I mean, you can't live a more stressful life than extreme po- than poverty or discrimination or both. Um, And I think that many women have, some men too, but many women have a lot of uh, unrealistic expectation on themselves, you know, that we are supposed to look a certain way and act a certain way and take care of everyone, our parents, our kids, our ourselves and have a job and, and ultimately be the person that can do everything. And, and most of us can't do everything and we certainly can't do everything perfectly. And so a lot of that continued stress on us becomes a real anxiety disorder. So there, there are just so many different reasons that people run into this issue. And don't forget that anxiety shows up when your amygdala signals that you need to go into fight or flight, right? Mm, or fight, flight, yeah. Okay, so let's just say that you live in a in a marginalized, um, in, 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 that you that you are in a marginalized group, like let's say the LGBTQ community. Okay, think about the amount of threat that they are going through mm-hmm. whenever there is discrimination against them. In other words, that it's going to trigger that fight or flight response all the time. So that's why you know we we do talk about. 
um, being, you know, racism and sexism and classism and all the other things that can cause you to feel, you know, perpetually threatened. Well, we definitely want to get into some coping mechanisms as soon as we come back, because there are definitely some things in the book that are really helpful. And I'd like to get into that when we come back. Thanks for joining us on Big Universe. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. We're talking with the Anxiety Sisters. Um, okay, so let's get into some practical ways we can cope. Um, if if I'm having a panic attack, for instance, what what's a method I can use? What should I do? Well, we tell people to start with something called TLC. Talk to yourself, loosen all constraints, and cool down, okay? Basically, the most important voice that your brain can hear is your own. So we really are big fans of talking to yourself, particularly out loud. My, in my previous life, I was a communication researcher. That's what my, my graduate work was in. And so I studied this extensively and self-talk is the most powerful tool that people don't know they have. So we start with talk to yourself out loud, say something to your, to the effect of this too shall pass, or I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Um, breathe in, breathe out um ride the wave anything that can be soothing you say it in your own voice out loud and repeat that because what that will do is start to convince your brain oh we don't need to be in fight or fight or flight you know our voice is telling us everything's okay so that will start the process of bringing us out of the stress response and then loosen all constraints means taking off anything constricting you mm -hmm. because when you're anxious your muscles tense and your body tends to constrict so anything you can do to free yourself, you know, if you're if you're wearing tight jewelry, take that off or, you know, a hair scrunchie that's too tight, take that off a belt, unbutton your jeans if you can. I mean, get as close to naked as it's appropriate. Yes. Um, Let's make sure we say if as appropriate there. Yes. yes. And where appropriate. Where <laughs> yes, appropriate. Exactly. Yes. You're in the, you're in the you area. Can on you can be on the edge appropriate too. On the edge yeah. of the Yes, yes. But you know, so if you can take off your bra, if you're a woman, that's great. <laughs> that, that really helps a lot. Uh, and then finally cool down because when we're in fight or flight, our body's all heated up, right? We're revved up. So actually cooling ourselves down physically signals the brain, okay, we can rest now. We're not in fight or flight. Everything's cool, literally. So we recommend you can suck on an ice cube. You can run your hands and your wrists under cold water. You can go outside and walk in the cold air if it's cold. Just put the air conditioner on in your car. Any of those are ways where you can signal. You're, you're trying to signal your brain that we don't need to be in fight or flight. Now you talk about a spin kit, which I love that idea. Tell me more about that. Um, well, basically, we believe in being prepared for panic um, because part of what is so scary about panic is that it's it shocks you, right? So you're in the supermarket and you start you're you're in a you get a panic attack and it's and you're thinking there's nothing dangerous here. Why am I having a panic attack? You know, so it's it so it, it's the shock value is like I must be having a heart attack or something. 
So we really believe in being prepared. And one of the ways we always tell people to be prepared is to have a spin kit. And in your spin kit, you basically have something that distracts you from the situation, something that soothes your senses, because when we're in a panic attack, our, our senses tend to get very heightened and some symptom relief. So my spin kit, for example, would have crochet, right? I have a little crochet project because that distracts me. And I, I also like the way it feels. I have, maybe I'll have gas sex because I tend to get st stomach symptoms and a mint because the mint, like a, something tasting very strong seems to ground me. Um, or I may have um, a cooling towel. I get very hot when I'm anxious. And abs, like abs, what's in your spin kit usually? Things that make you anxious. <laughs> yeah. I have pictures of my cats in my spin kit because that's very soothing to me, but that makes Mags anxious. <laughs> and uh, I, I have a little cool, uh, a cooling towel also in mine because I like to put that on my neck. Um, I have lemon drops because that flavor kind of, you know, keeps me gr uh, grounded. And also I keep a very soft fabric that has lavender scent. So I can feel the soft fabric and smell the scent. And that kind of is very soothing to me. And, you know, you'd carry a spin kit just in the same way you would carry an EpiPen. If you, you know, if you have allergies, you'd carry an EpiPen. So if you have anxiety, you would carry a spin kit. So you're prepared. I think the sisters just raised a really interesting point here, which is that one person's kit may not and probably doesn't look like somebody else's kit. It's not a one size fits oh, all yeah. type of thing. That's really smart. Um, thank you for pointing that out because um, we say that about everything, um, which is sort of why in our book, we have this big arsenal of ideas to help people because guess what? There are people who call us who say, you know, I don't get, I don't get hot when I'm gonna have a panic attack. I get cold, you know, and, and of course, you know, so they need a, a little bit of a different way of approaching it. Um, so, everyone's spin kit is going to look a little bit different but we sort of know that you need a distractor you need to soothe your senses and you may need some symptom relief and people always ask us can you just sell us a spin kit and and you know we're always saying no not really because you need to figure out what works for you we'll give you all these ideas we and have had we have had spin kit parties though when we've had retreats yeah. we've had spin oh, that's, kit parties. that's a cool idea that's a fun idea yeah. we got all different containers and all different types of ideas and then everyone could go and pick and choose what works for them and then decorate their bags and stuff and that was fun yeah oh yeah and then we've made and they've also made like little sometimes those little um rocks people like and they write you know a saying on it like courage or this too shall pass or whatever they want to write on it. And we make those in our, in our spin kit parties. Sarah, do you have any kind of spin kit uh, that you use? I have entire spin suitcases. <laughs> uh, but I think that what most familiar or most, most commonly, um, I like the smell of bergamot or the smell <laughs> of, uh, or, and the taste of lychee. So I like sweet and spicy. <laughs> So yeah. I usually have that around and I, I'm a big interspecies animal person that that's my gig. And so yeah. I always carry, um, the tiny little beanie babies. Oh, 
So I there's there's usually one to three of them in my purse. Uh, and I like them because looking in their eyes makes me not feel alone and makes me feel like I'm in connection with someone. You know, I can't carry my cats in my purse. Yeah, I was right? going to so say, it's the, probably a bad idea to actually carry. If I could have the cats in their you. gym, I would, but I have, I have the beanie babies and then they're also very soft. And so I think there's something about that tactile. Um, yes. You were just talking about the, the feel of crochet, but for me, the feel of something soft and to be able to rub it. So even if I'm driving, I can take that little beanie baby, stick it in my lap and pet it like I might, you know, a cat or someone else. So that's, that's usually what's in my spin kit, but I did get a couple other ideas um, from the book. So I like your arsenal. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great too. You know, and a lot of our anxiety sisters have found that animals have been really, really important. Some, some have them as service animals. Some just have animals to come home to. And that has been such an important piece for so many people is having a beloved animal around. Well, I didn't realize that I had a spin kit, but I guess I do. I have, uh, I use this uh, essential oil rub on that's kind of yeah. a, a calming oil. And then I also have, I do carry around one of those stones sometimes that says yes. miracles happen or, you know, all is well or. You know, that yes. sort of thing. I didn't, I didn't think about that as a, a spin kit, but I guess it is in a sense. Yes, sure. it is. You would, have you, yeah. would you two say that, do, do we naturally try to carry things with us that, that soothe us? Would, would, would there be a lot of people out there who might have things that they don't know are in their spin kit that if I put a little more thought to making sure they had them all the time, <laughs> they could become a kit? Yes. Yeah. We've had people say to us, oh, that's what a spin kit is. That's my whole purse. I there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> I think sometimes people um, do have things with them and just the idea of figuring out that they can use them at moments of real distress and, and purposely know that they're there actually provides a lot of comfort um, and a lot of help because again, they realize I am prepared for this. I can get through this and that can be incredibly empowering and helpful another thing you mentioned is the idea of bookending positive events on either end of a trigger potential can you talk a little bit about that what, what you mean about that sure uh, bookending actually originated um in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's where the, the practice started. Um, and we find it incredibly helpful for um, anxiety sufferers who have something coming up that is triggering their anxiety. Let's say a doctor's or dentist appointment or a, a work meeting that's scary or you know, sort of any, any kind of external event that's triggering anxiety. We say we should bookend that. So it's really easy to come up with the back bookend, right? It's always pretty easy to figure out what you can treat yourself to when you're all done, right? You know, go have an ice cream or, you know, just get to Netflix, you know, watch binge a show on Netflix or get a manicure, whatever. There's a lot of things you can think of, but people really struggle with, well, what can I do that's positive beforehand? Like that's the hard part. And Mags and I always say, that's when you call your, your BFF or your designated anxiety buddy. You could do a phone call to someone that you could look forward to. And that person can be in your ear as you are approaching your scary events. So in my life, when I have to go to the doctor, it's always a triggering thing for me. So I am on the phone with Mags until the doctor walks into the room and says, hi, are you ready? So, you know, and that's the, the front end of the bookend. And then when I'm done with the doctor's appointment, then I have my reward. 
Awesome. Awesome. So what's your stance? A lot of people are concerned about using medicine for this sort of thing, for, for medication. When it, when it comes to that point, what, what's your stance on medication to treat anxiety? So our stance is that, again, one size doesn't fit all, right? And some people find that they really need medication as part of their management. Abby and I have, and we've been on different medications at different times. Um, and some people are able not to use medication. We're, we're certainly like not pro big pharma or we're not promoting something as like, oh, do this and you'll feel great or don't do this. We're saying, you know, medication is pretty, it's a serious commitment. And that's why in our book, we even talk about things before you go on medication. There's some things that you should really know from your provider. Like, don't let them give you something and run out of the room. Um, but there are times where um, medication is part of a treatment plan. And particularly like that Abby and I have found that when someone's really gotten to the point where they're absolutely debilitated by their anxiety, I mean, it doesn't have to get that far to use medication, but when it has gotten really far with either OCD or panic attacks or phobias, where where someone just feels like they can't move forward. They're too, at this point, the disorder is too intense. That's a time where medication can really help um, someone start to use some of the coping mechanisms, right? Because it's great to tell people to go out into nature or to breathe or to have a spin kit or this or that. But if you can't get out of bed or you can't get off the couch at all, none of that really works for you. Um, so that's, those are some of the times, but. For other people, they're not quite as um, debilitated, but medication is still something really helpful, either for a while or permanently. It's mm -hmm. like we don't, so we don't have a, a pro or against stance. What, what we have is a non-judgmental stance. Yeah. We believe that everyone should, should manage their anxiety so that they can live their best life. We want people to live, you know, full lives that aren't shrunk by their anxiety. For some of us, that means medication is part of that treatment. For other people, it's not and shouldn't be. Uh, but we just were very firm in our community. The only rule we have, the only prescription in our community is no judgment here. No one yeah. should be judged for whatever he or she uses to, to help them manage. What about disrupting your thoughts? You talk about disrupting your thoughts being uh, an important thing to do. Tell me, tell me a way or, or how can we go through that process to sort of talk back to our thoughts? We all have assumptions that we walk around with, right? Then that we've had what? for a very... <laughs> Ooh, Maybe not, Sarah might not, but the rest of us all have... Oh, perfect. <laughs> we all have these assumptions that, that we walk around with. And, and, and we have things that we say to ourselves um, that we just take as true. And we don't really stop to examine those assumptions or to think about if they are even true or not. Uh, for example, a lot of anxiety sisters walk around thinking that they cannot, that they're not going to be able to manage. They'll say things to themselves like, I can't handle this. I'm a wreck. I can't handle this. And so we encourage people to think about that assumption. Well, is that really true? Because right now your track record, record for handling things is 100%. Right? I mean, you're here. So, you know, we encourage people to think about what, what, what's in their heads and what kinds of things they're saying to themselves and how we can maybe challenge those a little bit and see if, 
maybe they've been put there by, you know, our families that we grew up with or people that were important in our lives or the media. There, there's all kinds of stuff swimming around in our head that doesn't necessarily reflect our own truth. So that's the idea behind challenging your, your thoughts is interrupting your thoughts. Um, if you say, oh, this always happens to me, really always, because whenever Mags and I hear the word always or never, we immediately challenge it. Because mm -hmm. nothing is always and nothing is never. So the, the, you know, we, but this is all the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. The idea mm -hmm. of, you know, of, of being able to challenge your thoughts, which can then help you modify your behaviors. I like what you say in the book about, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it compassionate? Yes. Yes. Because for us, one of the things um, we've realized um, is the practice of self-compassion has been incredibly helpful for both of us. Um, what happens for a lot of us is, you know, we have these thoughts and we end up yelling at ourselves like, oh, I, 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 you know, I meant to do that today and I forgot to do it. I'm so dumb. And like, you know, I always forget things that we, we go through all these things. Right. And just the idea um, of yelling at ourselves puts us more into fight, flight, or freeze. It puts us more into the anxiety response. Just like if someone yells at you, it makes you anxious. Right. Like, and when we yell at ourselves, even more so. So this idea of self-compassion is in part, it's a complicated idea, but in part of it is just learning to speak to ourselves really, really gently, like we would a dear friend. Like if I say to Abby, I can't believe I forgot to do that. She'll say to me, well, you're human. You know, people forget things, people struggle. This is, this is, you know, it's not a crime. It's just, you, you forgot something, it's okay. Um, I just, I just saw a great meme that someone said, no, talk to yourself, not like you talk to your best friend, talk to yourself like you talk to your cat or dog. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, you know, with a lot of um, compassion, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to get ourselves out of that fight or flight and into the rest and digest into that sort of more calm mode. When we're in a more calm place, when we're in that rest and digest, um, we can use our frontal lobe. We can use the front of our brain to make decisions and problem solve. And so we can kind of, oh, this is a problem. Let me think about, let me think about how I wanna handle this, how I wanna manage it, rather than just react, um, which is what we do in fight or flight. Um, you have, uh, you, you talk about don't believe everything you think. And I know in New Thought, we talk about change your thoughts, change your life. Yes. But it's, it's, it's important distinction here because, you know, there's no blame in, in, you know, don't believe everything you think, you know, it's, it's, it's more about an adjustment in, in your thinking process. You know, we give many examples, but an example in our book of someone who, who, who basically, you know, had this whole story in her head about a way a friend reacted to her, you know, in a, seeing her in a diner and the way she reacted and the story was you know she's mean or she's angry at me or whatever she had this whole thing going on and you know when she checked in finally with the friend found out none of that was true you know like the friend was in a very particular situation where she where she couldn't talk to her and I I think we just go through life doing that um either about other people you know so and so doesn't like me or they don't talk to me or they think I'm this they think I'm that or about ourselves, you know, I'm so stupid, I'm so this, I'm so that. And so we're just saying, just because you think something, it doesn't mean that it's true. <laughs> it's just a thought. 
we have a lot of thoughts every day. So in the book, you also do a lot of talking about reframing language and considering the words we use for things, you know, the idea of not panic, but spin or things like this. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship between the words anxiety and stress? Because sometimes, mm -hmm. I, I, self-confession here, I think sometimes when I don't want to admit to anxiety because I'm being real strong, I use the word stress as kind of like a lighter, little soft kind of word. Do you have a position on, on the relationship between the two? <laughs> I love that question. I believe words are really, really important. And I've spent a lot of years studying words and talk that works. What, you know, how human beings are so fascinating because we use language, we talk to each other and that makes us different from other mammals. So, um, so I've definitely studied that and, and I'm personally fascinated by the language we use because you know, we create our worlds using our language. So we provide meaning to something and, you know, the meaning isn't just there, we provide it, human beings do. So for instance, you know, Sarah, you were saying that um, when you're wanting to be strong and, and, and not kind of- She's using air quotes there, folks, for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> strong with the scare, or scare quotes, air quotes. We yeah. know that anxiety sisters are not weak. But let's just say, well, let's go with what you said that, you know, when you're when you're trying to sort of play strong, that you might downplay your anxiety by naming it stress. So for you, stress is a lighter version of anxiety. And I think that for a lot of people, that's the case. I think stress has become this catch all that we use for sort of anything that, you know, disturbs us on some level. The problem with stress in terms of um, it, it, it's not specific enough. That's, that's our take is that we, you know, we, we feel that um, it, it's important to really be able to name something in order to tame it, right? What you can name, you can tame. So when you're using these umbrella terms like stress or even anxiety for a lot of people is an umbrella term. It's very hard to really know what that means exactly. Like what is that experience? So that's why we like to use the word spinning for anxiety because it's very apt descriptor. I mean, you know, I, I think of myself as sort of like a Tasmanian devil spinning around and grunting, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that, that's the experience for me. That's, that's what it, it looks like. Um, and so people will say, oh, I'm so stressed. And the first thing that Mags and I will say when we're talking to those people is, well, so tell us what that means. What is stress? And it's so different for everybody. Uh, for some people, anxiety, panic attacks and anxiety are the same thing as stress. For others, they're completely different. One is kind of a, a lighter version. But, um, but Mags and I believe in naming stuff if you can. And so we like to use descriptors that, that make it a little bit more clear what we're talking about. Are we talking about, you know, are, are, are we, is our amygdala going crazy right now so that we are completely in fight or flight and not able to access our thinking brain? Or are we just a little bit aggravated with the situation but not in fight or flight? In other words, we, we really wanna know where we are with the anxiety. In other words, what specifically does it mean? How important is it to focus on what's going on in the body versus mm. the mind? Or are they the same or connected? They are the same. <laughs> you know, they are the same. Um, we, we had a really interesting podcast with um, this professor, Robert Smith, and he, he, he was telling us that actually sort of the, the whole mind body got separated. Um, in the middle ages by the church because like medicine was starting to um 
because modern medicine was starting to take shape and the church didn't like the idea of like these doctors taking over everything. So it was like, okay, well, you guys can treat the body, but we still treat the soul. You know, we, we're, we're in charge of the thoughts and the soul and you, and the doctors are in charge of the body. So it's like this, we have this really um, separated idea. We, we say the mind body connection, but then, but then any anxiety sister knows that there's really no difference because we feel anxiety in our body. You know, it's not like we think, oh, I'm anxious. It's like, I'm nauseous or, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a rash or, you know, I'm sweating or whatever the, whatever the symptom that you may have is. And so we also know that treatment wise, there is many, many different treatments, but some of them that are very helpful are when we focus on, on treating the body because that that tells our mind we're not in fight or flight we just have a minute or two left and i wanted to ask you um we we always end the episode with something like this but what's one final piece of advice or tool that you would give our listeners uh to to follow when they're dealing with anxiety on our website anxietysisters.com we have a panic button so push it Nothing will happen. Nobody will come to your house. We don't even know who's pushing it. We only know how often it gets pushed, which um, lately it's been about 1700 times a week. During the pandemic, we had a lot more pushers. Uh, but what it is, is it's me sitting with you and helping you through seven minutes or so of your anxiety so that you won't feel alone and so that you have someone in your ear that's telling you you're gonna get through it and exactly how to do that. And so I tell people it's free, just you can do it on your phone, you can do it on your computer, anywhere you want, just push that button and then you have company. You're not in a, on your own. Do you guys have any kind of spiritual sense, um, you know, any kind of spiritual tools that you use as well? I mean, Abby and I both, both find a lot of comfort in nature. You know, walking in nature is something that really connects us and, and writing and all sorts of things, but, but also that just that sense of community, the sense that, you know, we're not alone in this and together, together, you know, really magic can happen when women get together and, and we're, we're ready to share stories, really magic can happen. And so that is a That's piece awesome. of spirit for me. Yeah, for us, I mean, the, the, having the Anxiety Sisterhood, which started with just the two of us and is now well over 200,000, there is absolutely a collective spirit. Wonderful. Well, Abby and Maggie, it's been absolutely wonderful having you on Big Universe. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having us. We really, really like listening to the show and learning from you guys too. Wonderful. Well, for more information about Abby and Maggie, the Anxiety Sisters, please go to their website, anxietysisters.com, and make sure you get their new book, The Anxiety Sisters Survival Guide. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to her website, spiritual-rebel.com, and pre-order her new book, Sacred Sendoffs, at your online bookstore. I've got premium video courses, and I help create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter with Sarah Bowen. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. 
Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.